Well, it's good to be here this morning. I'd like to see some Eagle fans out there. Uh, there was one young man wearing a Kansas City Chiefs shirt this morning, and um, I kind of got on him a little bit, but I felt bad. I, I wanted to say to him, I respect him for wearing his colors today. So if you know who that young man was, make sure you tell him that I said that to you all. I, I should have said that to him, and I, I missed that opportunity. But I came prepared for Super Bowl Sunday. I have my um, Kelly Green hat from back when it was the Kelly Green color. And I have my Super Bowl hat from five years ago, champion. And I have my Super Bowl ring that my grandkids think the Eagles gave to me. <laughs> Don't tell them I bought it on Amazon for $19, okay? I'm serious. Don't tell them, all right? We're going to see how long we can keep that one going. And then I have my uh, conference champion hat complete with the current logo for the Super Bowl. And my shirt's laid out at home, ready to be put on. And I have my neckwear to wear. Uh, I thought it might be a little too much, Paul, if I walked up with this on. So um, pray for your pastor. I didn't see him wearing any eagle green colors. So he's got a little work to do there in that arena. I did have lunch with him. And I did say to him, be an Eagles fan, okay? It will help your church if you're an Eagles fan. But... Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to a good game this afternoon. And uh, actually, my wife and I, we have to fly to Phoenix tomorrow. So pray that we win. Because if we lose, we'll land in Phoenix. Everyone will be crying. And we can't really handle that. But uh, I did retire from Calvary Fellowship Church after serving there for 25 years. I had a blast doing that. I'm not a burnout pastor. I'm a happy pastor. I had a great time there serving the Lord. Uh, we're still there. And I uh, went there in 1982 after Dallas Seminary and, and still there. Uh, last Sunday, I was teaching in a class there. And so now I'm sent out as a missionary from there. And uh, when we retired from the church, I said to the Lord, you gave us 25 years here. If you'd give us 25 more years training pastors in the majority world, I, I would be grateful for that. I'm now in year 18 of that second 25-year cycle and I want to renegotiate and extend it some more because I'm not ready to go to glory yet. But in the majority world, 85% of the pastors have zero theological training. Not a little training, but zero theological training. And so Global Training Network, we take theological training to them. We take a Bible college, seminary level training to them. Uh, we tell them if you can go to seminary, go to Bible college, go. But most of them can't afford the time. They can't afford the money. And so we take that to them, Global Training Network. I joined Global Training Network, and when I did, we doubled in size from one staff person to two staff people. But now, by the grace of God, we have over 200 of us, longtime pastors who are now serving the majority world. We're training in about 200 different uh, nations there should be 80 nations, about 200 of us serving around the world. Uh, during COVID, everything shut down, as you know, and um, I was stuck at home. We couldn't travel. The nations we would go to were closed, and even if we wanted to go, we couldn't get in there. 
Uh, my wife and I had all these projects for me to do. I started knocking out projects left and right. And ladies, I sh- should say to you wives, if it's not done now, it's never going to get done. Okay, you had your window. It's over. But um, I was going crazy sitting around at home with nothing but projects to do. And so I started looking into Africa. Um, I was born in Africa and I like going back to Africa. And I was looking around and two nations stayed open. They probably should have closed, but they stayed open. One was Tanzania and the other was South Sudan. And I got all the vaccinations I could get. And I traveled to those nations, started working with some of the folks there. And uh, in Tanzania, this is sort of like a, a miracle that the Lord did during this time. In Tanzania, um, I was introduced to six bishops who oversee all of the African Inland Church, which is the old African Inland Mission. Some of you old timers may have known about. And uh, those six bishops invited me to come back and to train 2,000 of their pastors all over the nation of Tanzania. In the same breath, I had the opportunity to go to South Sudan, and we connected with the Anglican Church there, which is a very conservative organization, not like the Anglican Church in this country, and began working, and the archbishop invited us to come back and begin training their pastors, 4,000 of them, 3.5 million believers in the Anglican Church in South Sudan. And so we began uh, training cycles there. The bishops, there's 63 bishops in the Anglican Church in South Sudan. Uh, They started hearing from the pastors about the training, and they were so encouraged by that. They invited me to come, and they had a special meeting where I was told to train the bishops for one hour. It was sort of like a sample. And so I taught for one hour, and then I was excused from their meeting. And uh, sometime later, they came back to me and said, we want you to come back and conduct training for the bishops now, in addition to the training for the pastors. And so that's what we do. We travel around the world and uh, we travel to about 14 nations. Uh, my wife was here in the first hour. She's now at home getting ready for the Super Bowl party, but um, don't hold that against her. She goes and does women's conferences. I do pastors conferences. And uh, there's others here, Tom and Marsha Walsh are here in your church family. They're with Global Training Network doing the exact same thing. And so thank the Lord for this opportunity. But as I travel around the world, most of the places I go in Africa, they have a strong feeling that God is winning. But uh, in the States, as I travel around, I run into a lot of people who feel like God is losing. And so the question I want to ask you as we begin this morning is, what's your opinion on that? What do you think? And be honest. Do you ever feel like Satan is winning and God is losing? On a personal level, have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? And if you've ever felt like God has abandoned you and you feel like things aren't going quite the way you want, there's probably a lot of pain associated with that situation. And because of this, you start to think that God knows nothing about your misfortune and your misery. Perhaps you're a believer and you've been genuinely wronged. Perhaps your spouse has abandoned you. Perhaps you've been abused. Perhaps your family has turned on you. Perhaps you've been deeply wronged in life, and life's just not fun anymore. Well, if any of these thoughts are true in your life, I have some good news for you this morning. For any wounded and hurting folks here today, 
I want you to know that God has two tremendous gifts to extend to you. These are two gifts that God gave to a deeply wounded young man in the Old Testament, a young man from a severely dysfunctional family, a young man aggressively wounded by his older brothers, a young man who thought he was going to be executed by his own family, a young man who endured exile, endured banishment, slavery, and prison, and all of this before the age of 30, a young man who probably felt like a real loser. And when it seemed like it could get no worse, it did. It got worse. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Joseph. And we find Joseph in the first book of Genesis, and we will see him slip from favored son to despised slave and ultimately to prisoner. You remember the story, how his brothers originally planned to kill him and then relented and took it easy on him by selling him into slavery to their cousins, the Ishmaelites. And unless you think that that was sort of a soft landing for him, read Psalm 105, verse 17, where it says they bruised his feet with shackles. They name him by name in Psalm 105. And they put irons around his neck and they led him through the desert in shackles and irons. And to compound their egregious sin, the brothers balled up his robe, dip it in some blood, and present it to their father, old man Jacob, who now thinks that his favored son is dead. And from a human perspective, death may have been a better fate than going into slavery at that era. And as a slave, how could it get any worse for Joseph? How about being in prison for several years because of a lie? Remember Potiphar, the captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguards, his wife tries to seduce Joseph. And when he refuses, she accuses Joseph of rape and has him thrown into prison. And for the next 13 years, Joseph will never see his own family. I'm sure Joseph cried many long nights, hard nights, sleepless nights. Joseph may have wondered if God had forgotten about him. He may have cried out to God. He may have moaned to himself about how unfair life was to him. But through it all, God had his eye on Joseph. And now in Genesis 40 and 41, we'll learn that while Joseph seemed to be forgotten in prison, God was at work behind the scenes to rescue and raise up his loved one, Joseph. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 40 where I want you to see this same lesson. Learn that God has his eye on you. And even when it feels like you may be stuck in prison, God is actively working behind the scenes to rescue you and to raise you up. Earlier in chapter 40, we're introduced to a cupbearer and we're introduced to a baker who had been thrown into prison with Joseph. They have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, and the cupbearer is released from prison. The baker doesn't do as well. But as the cupbearer is released from prison, he forgets all about Joseph. Look at Genesis chapter 41, the last verse, verse 23. Or chapter, chapter 40, excuse me, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And there's a period, and then there's a paragraph break. 
And it's almost like another whole story is starting. But continue the story. Verse 1 of chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph is forgotten in prison. But now Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph's taken from prison and he successfully interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's pleased with Joseph. Look at chapter 41 and verse 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And this is God sovereignly working behind the scenes, controlling the destiny of two nations, Egypt and Israel, in order to protect and provide for his covenant people, the people he loves. This new nation, Israel, that has only been promised, but has not been established. And now it needs to be preserved. And God preserves this family, this nation, and allows them to go into this incubator of Egypt for 430 years in a time of slavery. But in this incubator, they grow from a family of 70 to a nation well over a million people. And as a nation, Israel needed to learn from Joseph's life that when things are going poorly for you, remember God is still at work behind the scenes. And what is now happening in Joseph's personal life reveals the lesson the nation Israel will need to learn. And it's the same lesson I need to learn today and you need to learn today that God is always at work. Even when we can't see him working, he is working to preserve the ones he loves. And that includes you, and that includes me. Now in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph, as he's learning, God is always at work. God takes Joseph from the prison to the palace by interpreting Pharaoh's dream. As we watch Joseph's rise in power, the very first thing that Joseph does, excuse me, that Pharaoh does is to put Joseph in charge, second only to Pharaoh himself. Look at chapter 41 and verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command. And the people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zapheth Paniah. And he gave him Asenith, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Now think back for a moment. When Joseph was a slave, what did he do? He did the very best that he could. When Potiphar's wife propositioned him, what did he do? He did the best he could, and he ran away from that situation. He refused. When Joseph was a prisoner, what did he do? He did the best that he could. He attended to the other prisoners. He noticed that they were dejected. And when he interpreted their dreams, 
He didn't take any credit for it. He said, these dreams belong to God. God has given me this insight. And so now Joseph is in charge of all of Egypt. What do you think he's going to do? He's simply going to do the very best that he can in the situation God had currently placed him. And so the question of application that I want to ask you is, what has God put you in charge of? You say, Carl, I just have a couple little kids at home. God's placed you there, sovereignly placed you at home. Do the best you can, like Joseph did when he was in charge of a home in Potiphar's house. You say, I just teach the middle school kids in Sunday school. Do the best that you can. I own a company with 10 employees. Do the best that you can. I oversee a company with thousands of employees. Do the best that you can. What is your sphere of influence? What has God allowed you to be in charge of? A home? A prison? A nation? Whatever God puts before you, follow the example of Joseph and do the very best that you can. Now, with Joseph's rise in power, notice that some tremendous rewards come along with this. Look at Genesis chapter 41 and verse 42 again. It says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his own finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. This is really unbelievable that Joseph, the former slave, the former prisoner, is now being generously rewarded by Pharaoh. This is like winning the lottery. These are major rewards. Joseph is first given the signet ring of Pharaoh himself, perhaps something like some of these gold rings that you see on the screen here. He's given a robe, certainly nicer than the special multicolored robe his father had given to him. He's given a gold chain for his neck, sure to have some precious stones in it like this one. The pharaohs of Egypt were noted for their extravagant displays of wealth, like King Tutankhamun's burial mask discovered in 1922, or his gold sarcophagus, actually four of them. They all fit inside of each other like Russian nesting dolls. And all this kind of wealth Pharaoh now lavishes on Joseph along with a new name. Look at verse 45 again. He's given that name Zephaneth Paniah. Hidden in Joseph's new Egyptian name is a clue to what Pharaoh was thinking since he gave Joseph this new name. Nath is included there, N-A-T-H, which means God speaks and God lives. Pharaoh saw something of God himself in Joseph and he gives him this new name. He's also given a wife, Asenath. And notice her name has the same word, N-A-T-H. But her entire name means something different. One who belongs to the goddess Nath. And she's the daughter of Potiphera, not Potiphar, but Potiphera. And that name, Potiphera, means he whom Re, R-E, the sun god, has given. The sun god was worshipped at the city of On. And that's mentioned here in this verse. There's an ancient book entitled Joseph and Asenath, written in the time of Philo. Philo was alive when Jesus was here walking on this earth. And it's the story of how Asenath came to trust Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. 
It's the story of Joseph leading her to the Lord. And as Joseph is given these tremendous rewards, what does he do with them? He accepts them and he enjoys them. He appreciates them. I'm sure he's thinking this is better than slavery and the prison. So there may be times when you'll go through some dark days where you struggle and it feels like slavery, it feels like prison. But remember, God is always at work behind the scenes to rescue you, the one that he loves. Joseph's response to the power, he doesn't say, it's about time and begin to relax. No, he does what he always did. He does, he does the best that he can. Look at uh, verse 46 again. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. He diligently put himself to the task that Pharaoh had entrusted to him. He was a diligent slave. He was a diligent prisoner. And now he's a diligent vice president. When you look at the next couple of verses here, 50, 51 and 52, we come to some of the finest moments, I think, in Joseph's life, where Joseph accepts God's gifts. More than the material gifts that Pharaoh gives him, God gives him supernatural gifts, not once, but twice. Look at verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And here's this terribly wounded man, no longer young, now married, now having children, and contrary to the Egyptian culture that he's been immersed in for years now, contrary to his wife's pagan heritage, he gives his two sons Hebrew names. And not just any names, but names that describe the two gifts that God wants to extend to each of us today. Son number one is named Manasseh. Look at verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. There's a bittersweet idea here revealing that Joseph had learned that even when life presents us with difficulties, God is still working behind the scenes to protect the ones that he loves. And Joseph describes two phrases. One, God has made me forget all my trouble. And two, God has made me forget my father's household. It will be 13 years before Joseph sees his family again. And there seems to be a lot of pain in this naming of his firstborn son. Manasseh. And I'm glad we know the rest of the story that he finally is reunited with his family. But notice in this victory, Joseph acknowledges what God has done. God made me forget all my troubles. Literally, God who brings me into forgetfulness. 
As Joseph held his little baby boy, he said, Manasseh, I have been Manasseh. God has allowed me to forget all of my trouble. Parents, remember holding your firstborn child for the first time? I do. My firstborn is now 43, living in Tel Aviv, working in the U.S. State Department there. But I still remember holding her for the very first time and looking at her. And when she was born in my church, there was a lot of troubles going on, a lot of struggles, a lot of extra meetings where we were dealing with deep issues. And it was just a burden to be involved in the church at that time. And I would go home at night, I would pick up my little daughter, Denise, and I would be Manasset. You know, I would forget the things that were going on at work, forget the things that were going on at the church, and just play with my little girl. Even to this day, as a 43-year-old adult, married woman, I still think of her as this little baby that God used to cause me to forget the difficult season we were going through at the time. And then in verse 52, God allows Joseph to have a second son, Ephraim. The second son he named Ephraim, and he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He held this little baby boy and he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of difficulty. Imagine the stories Joseph would tell his boys as they grew up. He'd be saying, sons, back in the day, I was sold as a slave. I was banished from my family. I was accused of rape. I was a prisoner. But now God has blessed me. He's given me Ephraim. He's made me fruitful. And a little detail you can't see in our English Bibles is that Ephraim is spelled with a dual ending, meaning God has doubly blessed me. God has made me very fruitful. To me, these moments when we see Joseph holding his little boys and declaring these amazing acts of God, these are priceless moments as Joseph accepts these two gifts from God, the gift of forgetfulness and the gift of fruitfulness. God allowed him to not seek revenge against his brothers, but to forgive his brothers. God allowed him to not hold a grudge, but to be released so that in Genesis chapter 50, and we can just turn there real quick. In Genesis 50, look at verse 20, where Joseph says to his brothers who now are fearful because dad is dead, that Joseph is going to unleash his fury against them. What does Joseph say? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, you intended it for harm, but God allowed it for good. Joseph was not destined to forever remain mired in his terrible suffering, to go through life with terrible wounds. No, he was not. This horrific abuse did not keep him in prison for the rest of his life. As we sang earlier, he's liberated. He is freed. And now notice what Joseph says. God allowed me to forget. Joseph didn't do it. God gave it to him as a gift. God has allowed me to be fruitful. So my last question for you today is simply, have you accepted the gifts from God that are mentioned here in these verses? Forgetfulness and fruitfulness. 
Allow me to speak to those of you who are here who are here who have been deeply wounded, like Joseph had been wounded. If you were to share your full story right now, there probably wouldn't be a dry eye in this place. Some of you can't even talk about what happened because the wounds are so deep. Some of you see little hope for the future and may be tempted to think that your entire life is doomed to banishment, to imprisonment, and being a slave to the pain. And to you, let me extend the gifts of God that Joseph accepted. God's ability to cause you to forget. God's ability to allow you to be fruitful again. And I know it's not as easy as simply receiving a gift like you do on your birthday. And I'm not so naive as to suggest that you'll walk out of here with these gifts fully realized. It will probably take time, probably longer than you'd like to expect. But walk out of here today with the truth, the hope that God can Manasseh you. God can Ephraim you. He did it for Joseph, and he can do it for you. Now, some of you are here today, and those wounds are well in your past. God has given you forgetfulness and fruitfulness. And to you, I say, share your story and minister to others who are still imprisoned with pain. And even when life seems to be a struggle, as we all move forward, remember God is always at work behind the scenes to rescue the ones he loved. At the macro level, God loves Israel and he rescues them from slavery in Egypt and leads them into their promised land. On the micro level, God loved Joseph and rescued him as well and allowed him to forget and to be fruitful again. And the same God who loves Israel and who loves Joseph loves you too. And he wants you to be Manasseh. He wants you to be Ephraim. God wants you to enjoy forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this real account of Joseph. And Lord, we're sorry to hear of his pain, but wow, to see his heart of victory as he thanks you for what you did to help him, to bless him, to encourage him, to Manasseh him, to Ephraim him. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who feels like they've been abused, maybe not feels like it, but it, has, it really has taken place. They feel like they're imprisoned in some dungeon of pain. Lord, I pray that your spirit would allow them to begin to realize and extend these gifts to them, and may they embrace them, the gifts of forgetfulness, the gifts of fruitfulness. And Lord, for any who have come through that pain and are on the other side of it now, I pray that they'll be quick to share their story so that people can hear of your faithfulness and your goodness. And it'll be like Joseph saying, it's not me, I didn't do it. God gave the ability to do this. So Father, we ask this, I pray that for this church, I pray that for the leadership here. I pray that for each one sitting here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.